thank you for tuning into this, the third episode of Travel the Bible. I am your host, the Reverend Neil Brooks, and I invite you to go on a journey through the Bible with me. We will travel through all 66 books of the Bible, making stops in each book to tell stories, some that you may be familiar with, and others that may be entirely new to you. This week, our journey continues with the book of Leviticus. Our scripture passage today comes from Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them, or left in their care, or about something stolen, or if they cheat their neighbor, or if they find lost property and lie about it, or if they swear falsely about such sin that people may commit, When they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion, or what was entrusted to them, or the lost property they found, or whatever it was that they swore falsely about. They must make restitution in full, add a fifth of value to it, and give it all to the owner on the day they present their guilt offering. And as a penalty, they must bring to the priest, that is, to the Lord, their guilt offering a ram from the flock, one without defect, and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them before the Lord, and they will be forgiven for any of the things they did that made them guilty. From the beginning, God wants to provide salvation for humanity. He does this first by providing laws to the Israelites. When they break these laws, they commit sins and they are separated from God but he wants to bring them back to him. So he created a system of offerings that could be used to have sins forgiven. Sin has a cost. In the case of this passage, the cost to have a sin forgiven is one ram, plus returning whatever you took, and a fifth. Now this seems simple. Do wrong, go to the temple, sacrifice a ram, all is great. But... The ram that is sacrificed comes from your own hurt. You sinned, and therefore you must pay the price for that sin. Instead of paying with your own life, a ram takes your place, one that you have raised and cared for. Not only that, but you, as the person seeking forgiveness, have to slaughter the animal yourself. You present it to the priest, put your hand on its head, and you slaughter the animal. In this way, the person seeking forgiveness feels the cost of their actions. Not only are they seeking forgiveness of the Lord, but they're also losing part of their flock. Now, Leviticus is one of those books. It's in the Bible. It's there. People usually kind of ignore it. How could the instructions for animal sacrifice possibly be relevant to us today. It's been a long time since the church has conducted such sacrifices or required them, so therefore it's a useless book, right? Well, no. While the mandates for animal sacrifice, ceremonial cleanliness, and things like that are no longer used, there are many parts of Leviticus that are still relevant. Our passage today focuses on what we should do when we wrong another person. While animal sacrifice is a part of it, there is far more to the process. 
which focuses on righting the wrong. Not only must you return what you lost, found, stole, or lied about, but you also have to add that 20% of value. In essence, this is an apology for stealing. Uh, What God is reminding us here is that we sin against a neighbor. We have to make up for that. This type of offering can be translated as having a couple of different names. In the King James Version, it is translated as a trespass offering, which makes sense as a trespass is to infringe on the rights of others. And the other generally accepted translation is the guilt offering, as the person making the offering is guilty of something, and that's why they're making the offering to begin with. The guilt offering is unique among the offerings in Leviticus. First, it is the only one where the offering itself is not enough to solve the issue. In the others, you sin against God, you sacrifice an animal, and all is good. Secondly, this offering is only done by individuals. There is no version of the offering that allows the whole congregation to make it. It is one person seeking forgiveness for their personal sins. Now that is because there are very few ways that a whole community could be guilty of stealing. One person can steal from another, but the whole community really couldn't. Now, when we dig more deeply into the meaning of the text, we see something in this passage that can lead to some confusion. Verse 4 says, When they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, then they can atone for their sins. So what does it mean if you do something intentionally? You have to do this if you accidentally steal from your neighbor. But what if you steal on purpose? Now, this idea of unknown or unintentional sin is mentioned many times in both Leviticus and Numbers. Leviticus chapter 5, verse 17 starts with, If any of you sin without knowing it. Now, this does not mean that you can't be forgiven if you commit a sin intentionally. Instead, it is drawing a distinction between sins committed as an error of our ways, so based on our humanity, versus sins committed with the purpose of defying God. Our passage today specifically lists out five trespasses against your neighbor. The first is deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to you. This is akin to parents leaving their child in charge of the house for the weekend while they're out of town, and the child decides to throw a party and, you know, messes up the house, breaks a window, that sort of thing. As this was not the intended purpose of the child watching the house, the child misused the property entrusted to them. Now, the second listed trespass is stealing. If we think of this as robbery, we can differentiate it between the first and the fourth. By adding that element of force, we can draw a distinction because the first one involves misusing something freely given, and the fourth is about taking something lost. So therefore, this has to be a sin against neighbor that implies the use of force to get what you want. We could also see this one presented as coercion for a better deal than you would get otherwise, even if you don't actually steal anything. The third trespass is cheating your neighbor. Now, the New Revised Standard Version mentions this as a pledge. So this can include any agreement, handshake, or contract. 
So selling someone land and saying that the land would be great for farming, when in reality, the land is in the middle of a desert. By cheating your neighbor, you'd get a much better price for the land. Now, the other way that this applies is if you agree to do something and just never do it. Um, The best example that came to mind for this one comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 29, where Laban deceived Jacob and tricked him into marrying Laban's eldest daughter instead of the younger one, despite the fact that they had agreed that after working for seven years, Jacob would marry the younger daughter. Now, the fourth sin against neighbor is, as I mentioned, finding something lost and keeping it. So this one goes counter to the common saying these days of finders keepers. Now, the purpose behind this is to remind people of Israel that if they take something that doesn't belong to them, even if it was lost, they're hurting somebody else. Somebody's looking for that. Somebody needed that. Many places have a lost and found for things of value that are lost, even today, because losing something can hurt the person who lost it, depending on its value or, you know, things like that. Now, the fifth and final trespass that is mentioned in our passage is or whatever they swore falsely about. Now, this can be the catch-all. Anything that is not otherwise included can be lumped in here. This can include things like lying about witnessing something or not witnessing something. It can also include all of the other sins against neighbor. Now, there is always the temptation to lie and make something better for ourselves. Now, these sins against neighbor are only a handful of the hundreds or maybe thousands of possible sins you can commit against those around you. If Leviticus listed them all out, the book would simply be a list of things not to do. The point being made here is that when we wrong a neighbor, we must first make it right with them and also make it right with God. Sin in scripture is often discussed as debt. When we sin, we owe debt to God to bring ourselves back into alignment with him and his will. So why don't we repay God now when we sin? When was the last time you brought a ram, a goat, or any other animal to church or to the town square to sacrifice after you sin to seek forgiveness? Personally, I can't remember the last time I did or saw anyone else. And as a pastor, very glad about that. Because it seems like it would be very hard to get the carpet clean. Now, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10 wrote, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin... He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. When our debts became too much for us to repay on our own, God extended his grace and provided for us one last sin offering. Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was without blemish. And he was offered to God to settle humanity's debts, to pay for all of our sins.
Christ died for our sins, and he took our place on the cross. It is through him that we are forgiven. Instead of bringing our own lambs to be sacrificed, Christ was the lamb. Instead of fighting our whole lives to be right with God, Jesus made the way clear. Now our passage today ends with verse 7. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them before the Lord, and they will be forgiven for any of the things they did that made them guilty. Our God is merciful. He seeks to forgive rather than condemn. So the next time you drive by a field filled with animals, remember that Christ is the reason we don't need to sacrifice those animals when we sin against our neighbors. Your debt has been paid and your sins forgiven. The cross stands as a reminder of all that we have been given. So take your forgiveness. Share it with the world. Your creator has forgiven you, so forgive one another. Many times we often pray the same prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. God hears our prayers and forgives us, but do we actually go through with our part and forgive others? So again I ask, why does Leviticus matter to us? We don't have to follow the instructions for animal sacrifice. It matters because without these rules, without the guidelines for sacrificial forgiveness, there could be no salvation. Christ saved us by taking the place of the ram in the guilt offering. If this book did not exist, if these instructions were not here, Christ would not have been able to sacrifice himself for us, and we would be on the hook for all of our sins. So let us rejoice in the Lord, for he is good. His salvation will endure forever. All you must do is accept it. That is why Leviticus matters. This week, I leave you with this. Go in peace. May the mercy of the Lord be upon you. And remember that your debts have been paid and your sacrifice was already completed. Amen. Amen.